Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Uh, we are live. Hold on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, February 1st. And, John, it took only one year to the day, one year, for Matthew Stafford to get the Lions stink all the way off him. Are you – I want your raw reaction. Are you happy or are you upset? Don't care. (laughs) You know what's so weird about, like, you know how desperate you have to be to, like, latch on to somebody leaving you for for better pastures and being like, yeah, they're killing it now. And and I was holding them back. (laughs) And happy for them. Like... Oh man, that is a bad look. It's like I am, I was the anchor dragging them down. How about me? <laughs> look, uh, and look like, at me. And then not just like happy for them, like going out of your way to publicly exclaim how bad you were. To, to, to openly be cheering for that player wearing his jersey from when he played for you, t- for your team. Uh-huh. While he's playing for another team that is not yours, I don't like. I'm sound like such a a um, jerk, like such a bitter sports fan. But I've said this so many times with with you know in regards to Michigan State that I think pe- sports fans need to be pettier. I think you should be petty. Yeah. I think the the entire purpose of sports is to be petty and to love when your team succeeds, hate when they don't, and hate when anybody else's team succeeds for the most part. Like everyone's allowed to root for the underdog, yada yada yada. Find that that's nice. But like when it's something that goes in direct conflict with your team's success, like people should be pettier. Like I'm happy for Matthew Stafford as a person he seems like a really nice guy he was really good to the city of detroit but i haven't turned myself into a rams fan and sitting in front of my tv and like literally shedding tears over the fact that he went to another team and was successful it's like this is the comparison i keep making it's like you're you're left by your significant other your significant other leaves you and then starts dating a really handsome, successful person. And you're like, God, I'm just, I'm so happy for you. Look at what my ex-girlfriend did. She's now dating this really successful hedge fund manager. Isn't that awesome? And people are like, like, ah, are you like, okay? 
No, they're like, and, and then someone would ask you, like, oh, and you're so happy for them because you also have had such yeah. a happy and successful thing happen. Yeah, you right. just, and you're like, no, 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 actually, right. I live alone, um, and I'm very dirty. <laughs> I have not gotten over it. Um, also, <laughs> like, do you think Matt Stafford is going to look into the camera after, you know, winning the Super Bowl and being like, I did it for, you know, still thinking about you guys in Detroit, did it for you guys? Hell no. Do you no. think he cares? Like, I no. think the best, the best day of his professional career was the day that he got traded to the LA Rams. Like the, and I'm sure he, I don't know that he would ever admit to that, but like, it's definitely true. And your point is such a good one. Like I'm bitter because he didn't have success with my team. Like he didn't do, he made the playoffs three times. That's nice. Patrick Mahomes has made the play, the, the NFC championship game four times in a row. Like miss me with how good Stafford was. Uh, I, I feel differently about, like, you think of other Detroit sports, and we'll talk Michigan State here, I promise, but, um, like with Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, like, I feel a little bit differently about them, because at least they won to a degree with, with the Tigers, like, they made the World Series a couple times, at least Verlander did, and, you know, they, they gave it a, I don't know, they just, like, actually won some stuff, and the team was consistently good. The Lions, sucked like they had a couple of decent years they won 10 games one year and people are talking like we should have built a statue for Matthew Stafford you know why people get statues built for them when they're not really that good because they win the Super Bowl on an amazing trick play just ask Nick Foles you know if Matthew Stafford had done that I would have been out there with the with the stone and the little tiny hammer anyways Michigan State stuff no more annoying Detroit sports pouting how about that We'll out about this instead. <laughs> yeah. The NFL. We'll stick with the NFL. We're starting with football because the transition works better. Um, two players from Michigan State off to the NFL uh, are off to great starts in their professional journey. Connor Hayward and Speedy Naylor both invited to the NFL Combine. Um, the highlight here for me will personally be seeing Connor Hayward get Measured. I think his measurements are going to be legitimately hysterical. Absolutely. There's going to be no player comp for him. <laughs> They're going to be like, I don't know, man. Uh, I think I, I, during one of the Twitter spaces, I, I compared him to Bowser. Yes. <laughs> and it's all like that. The perfect comparison. He is Bowser from <laughs> Super. He's very heavy. Uh-huh. Uh, takes a while to get to top speed. But you probably don't want to be in his way. You bounce off of him a lot. <laughs> Great um, hands. Sure. Uh, and then Jalen Naylor can have do all the other activities at the combine if he wants. Like that's cool. Sure. But the forty times all anyone cares about, and the sh- and the shuttle. So <laughs> you might if he's not a sub four four. We got to talk about a new nickname though. Yeah, he's just Jalen. Yep. If he's, he might just be JJ, just Jalen, if he can't, uh, run, yeah, like you said, and, and at minimum the four fours. Um, yeah, I think he, he needs to, I think both of these guys, honestly, you know, it's really interesting. We were talking about it a little bit before we started, like Jalen Naylor, I think clearly needs to test well to get drafted. Like the fact that he got invited, I think is awesome. I think it shows that Michigan State as a program is being taken on a little bit more serious note, maybe with, with regard to turning guys pro than, they had been under the previous administration. Uh, but he used to test well if he's going to get drafted just because of the depth of the position. 
I think Hayward does as well, but I also think that Hayward, there's probably like five or six teams that will even consider taking Connor Hayward and they won't even consider it until the end of the draft. And those are like the really smart, polished offensive coordinator teams. Like I think about a team like Baltimore. I think about a team like San Francisco, like these, these teams that really affect New England that really effectively utilize their H backs and tight ends and throwing to their running backs. And he could be like this weird Swiss army knife guy that we've always, he finally started to be this season at Michigan state. I got to think that so long as he doesn't test out of the NFL, essentially, um, some smart team could find a way to use him. I look at Kyle Juszczyk in San Francisco, and I don't see a reason why Hayward couldn't be used in a similar role. Now, it's admittedly a pretty big long shot, but I, I think the fact he's going to the combine is pretty crazy. It is. And, you know, you said you got to have an offensive coordinator or a staff that's very comfortable with the rest of the roster to be yeah, starting yeah. to think about uh, Swiss Army knife-like positions. So... Um, it's probably going to be a better team that takes a shot at him, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's and he should listen. I hope he just gets to play one way or the other because it's another spot in the NFL, and he's the big boy bandwagon must carry on. However, I hope for his sake that it is with a good franchise because if he ends up in like camp with the Jags, like I'm sorry, I just I'm just not sure. I, I'm also a little nervous that if he's out, like once he's out of the NFL or not on a roster or something like that, that it's going to be tough for him to break back in. I also like the idea of him going to his first camp, NFL camp, doesn't matter what team, and he's just standing at the gate. He's all got all this stuff on, and they're like, okay, go to your position group. And he's like, I don't know where to go. (laughs) Where do I go? And he stays like, in one spot. He stays where he's standing. He's just stuck. He's like running back, no. Tight end, no. Uh, do you guys have an H back? They made up a thing for me at MSC. Yeah. Like, no. Do you, do you guys have a big boy offensive weapon <laughs> position group? <laughs> Is that around here? No, there that's not couple, here. There were a couple of us at MSU. Yeah. <laughs> where do the walk on tight ends go? <laughs> but not the ones that were punters. Yeah. They have <laughs> converted punters laying around that I could go hang out with. Um, yeah, it's going to be a weird thing for Connor, but I'm, I'm so excited for him to get invited to the combine and I might actually have to tune in just to, just to watch him run the 40. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, you know, speaking of, of, um, adding to the big boy bandwagon club, a couple of additions in the portal. Before I, that, before we hit that segue, I, I do want to segue the segue. And I saw Lane Kiffin is laying claim to being the portal king, and I can't have it. Can't have it. You Listen, get a get a nation. Once you get the nation's leading rusher in the portal, you can start start talking your talk. He's having a great offseason with that. I mean, like, Jackson Dart is awesome. Michael Trigg is awesome. They got the like, Zach Evans, the kid from TCU. I mean, it's pretty – it's legitimately really impressive what he's doing. But, like, there can only be one king. And mm-hmm. until you get the nation's leading rusher in the portal, there's no better story. And until there's no better story, it's our man Mel. And, listen, Mel's trying to do it again. Yep. 
He's got a couple guys. We got a couple guys that actually might be starting. Do you think? I think so. Uh, two positions. The the over under on starters from these from these two is one and a half. It's it's going to be one, maybe the other. I, I it's really interesting. So let's talk about both of them. Uh, the first is Colorado running back Jarek Broussard. The second is Illinois tight end Daniel Barker. We'll start with Broussard. And first of all, I, I don't know if there's a fan base that like. Aside from an actual rival or someone in your conference, I don't know if there's a fan base that hates another seemingly random program with the fire that Colorado hates Michigan State with. And to be totally honest with you, I don't blame them at all. We came in under the cover of darkness, shoulder head coach, immediate, like had one off year and then immediately won 11 games, dominated the portal. Oh, and guess what? Now we're going to come take your best offensive player. Uh, the Bruce Hard was, uh, the 2020, the shortened season was the Pac-12 offensive player of the year. So that's kind of what you're getting from a high-end talent perspective. Um, shorter running back. He's five, I think he's like five, nine, maybe little around 200 pounds, but was, uh, one of the nation's leaders in, um, missed tackles. He's a really, he's, he's kind of got, not a super, it's not the same as Kenneth Walker, but he has kind of that really natural sort of glide and ability to make guys miss going side to side with his short little, like, chop steps that, that Walker was so famous for. Um, Broussard does have a lot of that in his game. And I guess the second he became available, you know, this is a guy that Mel Tucker's team didn't recruit, but knew of and was on the roster when they were there. So, very familiar with him. Um, I would fully expect he and Jalen Berger, uh, the other recruit, uh, the other transfer portal addition from Wisconsin to probably compete for the starting job. I mean, I'm sure Elijah Collins, um, and I would assume Jordan Simmons would probably have something to say about that. But, uh, I, I, if you're kind of reading the tea leaves here, I don't think the staff goes out and gets two border, you know, what it were at the beginning of last year starters for power five teams. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, if, if they are happy with that room. So Broussard, um, I think, I mean, gosh, you, you lose Kenneth Walker, but you, like I said, you just brought in two dudes that started and played pretty darn well at two power five programs. It's, it's, it's tough to be too down on the, on the room after that. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, you know, a little more about Broussard. He averaged, uh, 5.2 yards in attempts. He had 60% of his yards gained after contact, 6.5 broken or missed tackles forced per 25 carries, um, hit at or behind the line of scrimmage on almost half of his carries, second most in the Pac-12. So that sucks for him. <laughs> and, but on the rare occasion he wasn't, he averaged 8.8 yards per attempt when not contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage. So he's just literally, you know, he doesn't quite have quite as much shake as Kenneth Walker, but I don't think anyone does. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember a running back that had as much shimmy as him, and I can't. Yeah, this is a guy that's <clears throat> going to make someone miss on about, you know, once every four carries. And But if he gets a clear line, he, he has enough to make it move, as you can see from almost the nine yards of attempt when not touched uh, as he hits the hits the line of scrimmage. So, Lots of like there, a completely different type of back, I think, than you're going to get from Wisconsin Portal Edition. Yep. And that's okay. That's good. You know, you want a different type of back. 
And then you have, you know, Eli Collins and, and Jordan Simmons, as you kind of alluded to, if, if they choose to stick around. And, um, I think there's a, some question marks on what Eli Collins ability to be what he showed he was in 2019 season, which was a long time ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if you did it once, you know, maybe it's still there. Who knows? So like you said, the running back room is, is at a talent level that you need it to be at to be competing, um, at the highest, with the highest level teams. You, you did it for this position and, and you've got to feel pretty good about the quarterback and wide receivers positions too. So that only leads the tight ends, right? And yep. Mel Tucker took care of that one too. Yeah, Daniel Barker, uh, who you may remember as the guy who scored the last touchdown um, as Illinois came back to beat Michigan State. I think they were down like 25 to 3 or something, whatever, 28 to 3, that, that big comeback in Spartan Stadium. I think that was D'Antonio's last year. Um, yeah, awesome memories. So he scored that winning touchdown, so he's decided to return to the scene of the crime but play for the other team this time. So probably smart move on his part. Um he is the all-time leader in, I believe, receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns for tight ends at the University of Illinois. He actually had previously declared for the NFL draft before deciding to actually take his name out uh, and enter it into the transfer portal so he could play for one more year somewhere. Um, I think the really impressive part about what he did is not only did he achieve all those numbers, but he did it splitting time with Luke Ford uh, quite a bit, who's uh, Illinois' really solid uh, other starting tight end. Um so he's going to bring an element of, I mean, listen, Illinois, especially since Bielema has gotten there, loves to block. Barker is every bit of the big, like, kind of, he actually looks like a tight end, which I don't think Michigan State's really had in quite some time. You know, Gillison is the closest thing, and he couldn't block me. Um, and, you know, again, Malik Carr, I think you've got a, an amazing potential offensive receiving talent. Barker is just a more complete package. So I'm not sure that Carr isn't the starter next year, but I think like I think he will be because his upside is just enormous. We've seen it in flashes. But Barker is going to play a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're almost kind of co-starters for a year. And I think what that does for MSU is listen, we talk we talked about it many times every week now. The bye year. That buys a red shirt for Jack Nickel and Michael Masunas which is awesome. It gives us another year to wait to see if there are guys that can, can you know, get ready physically to chip in on a, in a major way their sophomore years. It buys Michigan State uh, a place on the depth chart. Listen, I love everything Tyler Hunt has done for the program. It's, it's great uh, that, you know, he kind of embodies what college football, what makes college football so fun. But I like him a lot more as a third-string tight end as a, than as a starter or a backup. So uh, this allows him to kind of get to that position on the depth chart where he probably should be. And honestly, it makes him a pretty damn good third-string tight end. Um, but, yeah, just it, it's a really nice way to round out uh, the offensive skill positions because right now, man – that's a pretty darn good looking group, uh, at tight end, like you said, wide receiver and running back. Uh, and obviously with Thorne returning as quarterback, um, you, you gotta feel pretty good. Horst and Carrick both coming back on the offensive line makes you feel pretty good. Um, now looking at that unit that, you know, everybody was kind of like, uh, ah, Kenneth Walker's gone. Are we going to, you know, what, where's this whole thing going to go? 
listen, the, the coaching staff has taken it very seriously to replace that level of talent at multiple levels. And um, I don't think they're done, but they've done a really good job of, of shoring things up. Yeah. Two more spots available if they choose to fill them. And, you know, we talked about every other position group except for the offensive line. And, and you, you would probably think that that is an area they're going to focus on. And if they can find a rotational player, at least, you know, with power five experience, that's where you're going to start um, looking. And there are still guys available, you know, asking someone to come in and start with this unit. I don't know if that's a bridge too far, but, you know, someone that can come in. And as we talked about, you know, can you allow uh, Kevin Wigington, you know, and Dallas Fincher, you know, wait until they're ready to sit there, get their snaps. That's what you're looking for here. And, um, you know, maybe that's what you look for. And then, you know, as we talked about, you can never have too many pass rushers. And, um, you know, not to say that they're going to go look for that, but at, the, at a certain point you just you say, okay, if it's not a position need, you just say, are there any playmakers we can go get? Yeah. So the only two spots left, we're running out of – you're in another room, but, uh, you wouldn't, I, 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 they, they could always play kind of this numbers game, backdating some of the positions, maybe to the prior class, which could open up some more room. Um, I'll be interested to see how they fiddle around with the numbers if they need to, because I think you're totally right. I would full, I, well, first of all, I would fully expect them to use the last two spots. I 100% would expect those to get used. But like you said, whether they're on immediate impact guys or just maybe down the line playmakers, um, They've still got two. I would expect if they're looking for impact players, like you said, it's either certainly somebody on the offensive line that they can find it. And you got to remember this team played like 10 offensive linemen all year last year. So even if it's somebody, like you said, who just plays 40% of the snaps, I still think that's something that they would strongly consider. Um, so there's that. I think the pass rushers, you can simply never have too many of them. So I wouldn't be surprised if, Another really enticing one became available. They would look that route. Um, I also think you shouldn't sleep on the secondary. Uh, and we've talked a lot about it, but you know, the backup safeties right now are both true freshmen or Kendall Brooks and Tate Halleck, two guys that haven't played a lot, uh, certainly not at high major levels. Uh, so I would not be surprised at all to see somebody, uh, get brought in there or you ride with the freshman, you know, who knows? Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, actually, it would surprise me if they went and got a corner um, because there's just so much depth there from this previous recruiting class. But I will say that uh, the safety position, some type of pass rusher and offensive line, those three would make a lot of sense if they do plan to use those. And like you said, it, I mean, I look around this roster right now that this tight end room has seven guys in it, I, four of whom are seniors. I don't know. Maybe one, one or two of those guys sees a greener pasture somewhere else. The running back room has seven guys in it. And now if you're, you know, don't want to speculate on any particular names, but if you're a, 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 an underclassman looking up and seeing Broussard, Berger, you know, that there's a lot of competition there now. Secondary sort of the same. So I think that there's some areas that, you know, guys are still entering the portal every day. So I would not be surprised to see another name or two um, go to try and find, you know, maybe more certain playing time somewhere. Lots of still play out, but we are starting to see the team, you know, and, and as the team rounds into form, that spring game is actually not too far away, Austin. You know, it's February. Yeah. Now. It's 
spring game is only, you know, two months away. And for the most part, that's your squad. And, and we can start to this summer start to dissect a little bit more about what's realistic, what expectations should be in this year and, and what maybe is being built to come. So lots of like huge ads. I feel like we kind of understated it. Like these two ads are massive. These, yeah. these would be the biggest ads for most teams in the country as far as portal transfer ads. It's almost lost a little bit because MSU has done such a good job. You know, it's even hard if I'm, I guess I'm going to challenge us this summer to rank our, our portal ads this off season before the season and then wow. at the end. But between Brossard, Barker, and then you got Bogle, Brule, Speed, Windman, Berger. That's a lot of guys that will probably make an impact on this team immediately, day one. So <laughs> I don't know if they're, they're, they all can't be starters, um, but most of them will be. And so that, I, <laughs> there's a chance that six of the, a very, very, very real chance that six of those seven yeah. will be starters. Like no question. I mean, both, I love how a lot of them are B names too. Like Broussard, Berger, Bogle, and Brule are all yeah. guys that we've recruited. And Barker. I missed another one. It's five. Uh, and then the other ones are Speed and Windman, which are just cool names. So they, not only did they add great players, they added great swag, but I mean, defensively, I would anticipate all four of the defensive ones starting. Uh, and then offensively, both the halfbacks can't start, but one of them in all likelihood will. And then it really depends on, you know, if it's Barker manages to beat out Malik Carr. I think Barker's, if I had to pick one, that's probably going to be a backup. It would probably be Daniel Barker. But again, I think he's at least a 40 to 50% of the, the snaps type of guy. He, he'll play a lot. And I think to your point, we might be underselling it. I mean, you saw what Michigan State asked of their tight ends last year. There's a lot of blocking and that blocking opens up lanes for great running backs of which Michigan State has acquired two this offseason. One of whom is Bruce, Jarek Broussard. He was the conference player of the year two years ago. Like, and then he still ran for almost 700 years this year despite splitting a few more carries. And it was the only reason he did that was because he got banged up. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Michigan's actually, it's very, it's very possible that MSU just got another thousand yard rusher out of the portal. And guess what? If it's not him and Jalen Berger beats him out, it's the same story. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard not to love what this staff has done uh, with some of these impact players. I mean, listen, you said you said what are our issues going to be going into the offseason? Well, we need running backs to replace Kenneth Walker. Check. We could probably upgrade at the tight end position. Check. We need more pass rushers. Check. 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 We should really use another cornerback to help with the depth. Check. I mean. There's others still to fill in, but like those are legitimately the questions that were out there for the most part, aside from the offensive line, like we said, that they're going to concentrate on. But they've done a great job of addressing issues uh, the same way they did last year. So, I mean, hats off to the staff, and I'm sure this won't be the last time that they they do this. Yeah, and and the last thing is, you know, obviously these are green colored glasses, but there is a little bit of uh, proof in the pudding. Like Kenneth Walker's numbers at Wake Forest were mid. And, you know, you might look at Broussard's numbers last year and they were mid. Well, Colorado's offense was one of the worst in the country. Like, yeah, period. I mean, that's, that's not up for debate. Uh, you know, Barker set records as a tight end for Illinois 
But Illinois, you know, he had two head coaches. One of them was Lovey Smith. Okay, so, like, let's think about how much he was producing despite the fact that Illinois wasn't exactly leveraging uh, their talent. And they didn't have any talent, by the way. You know, so what, what does a guy like this do when he has a quarterback that is able to throw two consecutive completions? I mean, like, who knows what the ceiling is? I don't know. But I do know the teams that they were on were the bad. So, <laughs> and same with Windman, right? Like, his stats were ridiculous, but he was like a – he's like if you play NCAA football and you are an FCS team and you made a creative player at middle linebacker and he's like a 90 overall, yeah, he's going to get every – because he's the only competent person out there. So, like – He's going to have all the tackles. He's going to have all the, like, everything. You know, what happens to him not when he when everything isn't on his shoulders? Does he become a better linebacker? You know, as maybe there's a lot of good good things. I don't feel like we can evaluate them properly, though, until, unfortunately, <laughs> they start playing games. But I do think the ceiling um, is higher than maybe some of the statistics they have uh, prove out. Yeah, the, the sum will be greater than – the parts added together. One thing I just noticed, by the way, is if you look at the linebacker position, you can tell where this, this staff really emphasized some things. Five of the top six linebackers on this team, if you include kind of the Jack slash defensive end in there with Aaron Brule and Itavian Tank Brown, five of the top six are transfers. And the only one that's not is Cal Halliday. Pretty crazy. Well, Talk about talent. Well, and they know what they need for the defense to succeed, which begs a lot of questions. You know, if they're, they, they're comfortable with the 4-2-5, and you, you've alluded to this as well. And I've heard, um, some Big Ten centric, um, publications kind of struggling with the numbers of seeing, like, how does MSU have such a, you know, their sack rate is this, and then their, you know, pass yardage is that. And, you know, given up. And it's like, okay, here's, here's the denominator. A lot of the problems in a secondary are solved if you get after the quarterback. Just period. Mm-hmm. Right? Football's, football's an easy sport. You know, get to the quarterback, you're not going to give him as many passing yards. You know, what, you know, we can do, solve this problem one of two ways. Go f- try and find a bunch of lockdown corners to transfer here. Hard. Or we can go find a bunch of playmakers to get after it and just try and stabilize the back half of the defense seems more attainable. Let's do that. Right. And so they did. And here we are. Will it pay off? I don't know. I will tell you that this defense got a lot more athletic, a lot more. So uh, excited to see what this is expected. The linebacker position now, like you said, I think it will look a little different. I'd have to agree. All right, let's take a quick commercial break and then we will, we will, Bask in the glow of some basketball. One game in particular. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, 
Just go to cars.com. It's magical. Then we are back, John. I only, I only acknowledge one of the two basketball games that took place last week. Is that just mm-hmm. me? I'll take the bad one. You can have the good one. <laughs> okay. I uh, struggled through this one. Um, MSU drops uh, one that felt like a must win in at Illinois in Champaign, 55 to 56. And the reason it felt like that was because their two best players were not available to play. And oof, it felt really tough to watch this team kind of discombobulated and specifically in the first half. And um, it was hard to watch for, for stretches. Um, if you want any good takeaways, you know, you can say, well, I guess they fought back. Uh, sure. This was a better team than Illinois without Kofi Coburn and Andre Curbelo. Like that's not something that even a hardcore Illinois fan would probably fight you on. I think um, it was just, it was hard to see a team maybe felt a little too good about themselves coming off of a win at Wisconsin. You know, I don't know what the problem was, but, you know, Max Christie had one of his worst halves ever. And then I will say he came around in the second half. That was solid for him. Um, what, what was the huge problem is Julius Marble and Maddie Sissoko just simply couldn't defend the pick and roll. Just couldn't do it. They kept going back to it. Trent Frazier um, was given the keys, and, and he – got him to the finish line. You know, they sputtered all the way to the to that finish line, but he got him there. And that was ultimately uh, the difference between Trent Frazier um, kind of just, like I said, carrying them uh, to and, – and it wasn't clean a clean carry. Like, it, it struggled. It was not beautiful. But it was just enough. But then MSU um, helped him out by shooting three for 14 from three, their worst shooting performance of the year. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else to say beyond it. It was the only thing that made me, um, I don't even know the word. I, I've never, I've never even heard of a team that has had two attempts to tie a game with no time left. The fact that they were both not converted, um, I guess isn't like a bad, like the surprising thing. But what we did learn is who we don't want on the free throw line. Should we get a third attempt at that? And it's not Marcus Bingham. It's not Malik Hall. And so we're just, we're, we're working backwards. Process of elimination here. But I mean, what do you say? It's one of the, like, I mean, you nailed it. The summary is, is great. This is just one, I mean, one of those games that it feels like MSU has. A couple times every year. Um, I'm almost glad that they lost, <laughs> to be honest, because they didn't deserve to win this game it's true. At, at all. So, like, you, you almost are in some ways – I mean, you're not okay with it. You're not happy that they lost. But it's. I'm almost glad they weren't rewarded for bad – for, like, mid-behavior. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been – it's looking back, it's a, it's a bad, it's a, it's not a good loss. I mean, losing on the road in the Big Ten is usually something you can like really write over really easily, especially on the road against the top 25 team. But they didn't have their two best players and they didn't even play well. I mean, they, they, they scored 
56 points. Like none of the, the Trent Frazier went two of 10 from deep. Like they didn't even play a good game. And yet Michigan state just couldn't answer the bell. Um, and like you said, we want guards on the stripe to tie the game, preferably, if <laughs> if we get into another one of those those situations. I mean, wasn't even a bad turnover game. I wish you only had 11 turnovers. They just couldn't shoot three or 14 from three, shot less than 35% from the field. Um, I think, you know, this is – I think you kind of got the worst version of Tyson Walker in this one, too. I mean, he usually doesn't take a ton of shots. In this one, he – Ended up taking 10, only made three of them. Uh, missed his only three-point attempt, turned the ball over three times. I mean, tough game. You nailed it with Max Christie. I think probably his worst game as a Spartan, um, which given what happened the next game is makes the next game even more impressive. But yeah, just, just wasn't much. Bingham is, I, I this, what this did when anything is cements to me that he is the most important part of this team in general because you can get really good minutes out of Julius Marble, but he is limited. Manny Sissoko looks lost the majority of the time he's on the floor. So, um, yeah, you also, well, so listen, to put a, to put a bullet on this one or bow on this one, not a great loss, frustrating night. Um, and I'm glad that they lost the game. I'm glad they didn't win because if, the, if you, if you pull a game out like this that you win, you can walk away from it with a good taste in your mouth. I'm you glad they didn't get do away. That. Yeah, you think you can get away with bullshit. Right. This first half was a, a bullshit performance, and they know it. Yeah. The second half was good. Second half was strong. They outscored Illinois 35 to 22. You know, and and I think the thing that to keep an eye on, you mentioned Bingham is such a key, and I think you're right. The other piece is watch Tyson Walker when he's trying to when he's just playing basketball and when he's playing not to lose. Yeah. There's a complete difference. And you can watch Tyson Walker. If you want to rewatch the last two minutes of that game, Tyson Walker is afraid to make passes that were there because he didn't want to turn the ball over. He was so afraid of messing up that he got in his own way and then didn't run the set that was for an elevator screen. Joey Hauser shot. He, he took the ball to the basket on his own and, had a contested mid-range jumper. Tom Izzo didn't appreciate that idea either. And um, that's just someone who was afraid to make the pass. And, 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 you know, to his credit, he was um, big enough to try and take the shot to win instead of just, you know, blowing the play up altogether. But what he didn't do in this game, you saw AJ Hogard, Hogard do the opposite of in the Michigan game. And yeah. it, and AJ had the best game of his career um, in, in East Lansing. I mean, between AJ and Max Christie, you had two guys who went from arguably their worst games to almost definitely their best. Um, I don't know who's even the story of this one. I mean, there were several guys that I thought you could make a case for as, as best player of the game. Um but the numbers kind of bear it out. This team just made more shots, and they just were just so balanced and efficient, basically the entire game, but especially down in the second half. But to to uh, first, we'll start with Ho- Hogard. I mean, Tyson Walker had it was probably the only player that I'd look at and you know and say he didn't have that great of a game. Didn't make a huge impact. Three to turnover, seven points. 
when he went off and Hogard came on, the offense just really kind of came to life. I mean, Hogard had a double double, 11 points, 10 assists, only one turnover. I mean, if you're going to get those numbers out of your starting point guard, you're happy, let alone out of your backup. So awesome to see him come through and have such a big game. Uh, and, and also mentioned him already, Max Christie. I mean, Max Christie kept this game from, I would never say getting out of hand in the first half, but Michigan hung in this game for a large portion of the first half. I think it always seemed like MSU was the better team, but Michigan was, was right there for a lot of it. Uh, and Christie made a couple of threes that either tied the game or gave MSU the lead back kind of in the waning stage of the first half. Um, that I think allowed them to, to really pull away down the stretch because they, they weren't down seven. They were up one, you know, and the game could have easily gone that way. So huge game from him. Joey Hauser had 14, which is kind of like the nail in the coffin when he's doing that against Jed. He made two threes. Blake Hall had 15 and made two threes. Um, I think you saw Bingham play tremendous defense the entire night. He had four blocks. And then if you look at the other side for Michigan, I honestly thought the only guy, the only guy that stood out to me, and I have to give credit where it's due, was Musa Diabate. Uh-huh. Diabate, he, he's he's good, man. I, then, I liked him. I, I liked him a lot. Like he's he's five star recruit, all hustle. Did a really had six offensive rebounds in this game, three blocks. Was really the only one that looked, quite frankly, the only one who looked like he really wanted to be out there. Uh, the rest of their team just kind of fell apart. John, I just uh, this feels like a typical Michigan-Michigan State matchup, right? Where Michigan's kind of the floundering squad, Michigan State, you know, verges of the top ten. Um, yeah, Michigan usually has a little bit better performance, a little bit better team than this one, but um, that's not what this was supposed to be this year. This was supposed to be the other way around, and I think preseason polls are stupid for every sport but sometimes they are so spectacularly stupid that it takes – everyone needs to, like, really take a moment and ask all these media members what the hell they were thinking. How they thought this Michigan team was supposed to be a top-four team is completely and totally beyond me. And I'm not saying that they, that everyone should have seen this coming, this 10-8, and 4-4 four and four in the conference, getting their doors blown off by every decent team they play performance, but it kind of blows my mind that they were – a top four team Three. going into the season? Three? Yeah. They're getting picked for national championships? I don't know, man. You know, it's a shame. Hate to see it. Yeah. But when, you know, listen, Michigan State beat a quad two team handily, and that's good and fine. And, but Michigan, I think this is the hard thing as a fan <clears throat> to enjoy beating the hell out of your rival and also being able to set it aside and say, it, this game doesn't really mean a ton in the scheme of the season because that team was not good. And if this team, if Michigan state wants to be serious about th- being good or, or, or competing for a banner, they need to get a lot better. And they did what they needed to do against Michigan to do that, right? They beat uh they beat a mid team by a lot. You know, and, and they need to find areas to improve on in this game and continue to get better. Because there are five teams in the Big Ten that actually are decent. Michigan is definitely not one of them. And and that's not to take away from beating the hell out of your rival at home. The crowd was fantastic. 
Michigan never had a chance. They never had a chance in this game for a thousand different reasons. Uh, but, and, and you can be proud of that and happy about that. Um, and, and I'm not going to like move on altogether because I want to keep talking about this game a bit, but if, if Michigan State wants to be serious, and you've heard us say this, uh, earlier, um, uh, in January, they need to win these next two road games. Otherwise, we're just playing basketball and, and it's all fun and fine and we don't win any championships. There are no banners. There's no mid March run. Like, I know it's, it's hard. It's, it's maybe hyperbolic to say, but if you don't beat two other quad two mid teams on the road this year, I don't, this week, I don't see a real path for Michigan State to not only win the Big Ten championship, but really become great. Mm-hmm. These are games that you have to win. They did that here. They didn't against Illinois. So, you, you know, good, good on them for a step forward after a step back. But Michigan State is a program that we expect to beat Michigan by a lot at home because that's what happens in this rivalry lately and actually for a very long time. And it also expects to compete for championships. It's in the hunt to do that. And this week's going to be huge um, to see if that's still reality or not. But before we go on to the next couple of games, I want to hit on a couple parts of this game because I thought it was real, just interesting points. 15 players played for Michigan State in this game. 15. That has to be near record. And one of those players was a football player who you may have heard of, Keon Coleman, who I thought it was a pro move by Tom Izzo to put Malik Carr and Keon Coleman in with his son. little protection, you know, a little muscle. (laughs) And Keon Coleman, Juwan did not take out his starters. And Keon Coleman (laughs) went one on five, got his own bucket. Um, My fear, hand up, is that Keon Coleman thinks he needs a little more PT and uh, starts to voice that concern um, a little more vocally uh, with the team. And maybe he does. I'm not saying he shouldn't. But, like, um, as we reschedule games, which Michigan State just did with Michigan, and they're going to be a compressed schedule, I think you'll start to see the depth of this team become even more um, important. And it'll be a differentiator against teams uh, like Michigan, who had Eli Brooks play for 38 minutes. And they're going to run out of gas, you know, in, in those four games in nine days windows, which are going to happen at the end of uh, this month or, or the beginning of March. So there's a lot to be gained um, by having such a deep rotation. And, you know, there are areas that need to get better. The backup center position really needs to figure it out. Pierre Brooks probably needs more minutes if there, we want any type of contribution from him. But A.J. Hogarth took a huge step forward. We love to see that. Malik Hall had one of his best games, period. Uh, he was he was the heart and soul of this entire team um, for this game. He was on the floor. He was getting people up. He was everything you wanted a Michigan State basketball player to be. And Max Christie had one of the best bounce-back games we've seen in a long time. And the moment was not too big for him. And as you mentioned, Diabate is an NBA player. He is un- he is a first round draft pick, and Max Christie had zero problem going up to him and um, letting him know, letting him know that uh, he's down by fifteen. Yeah, I love that. And that's just incredible, sad. incredible smack talk too. 
that was a side of Max that I we have not seen. It's not necessarily a thing that um, makes you a better basketball player, but it showed how much confidence he has gained. And if you have a confident backcourt, we saw Tyson Walker not be confident, but you saw A.J. Hogarth be incredibly confident. The more confident your guards are, man, that's the new height. Like, that's the new ceiling. And uh, we'll see if it carries over. Yeah, I mean, Max Christie is really becoming sort of the uh... – this the the weather vane. I don't know what the term is, but like as he goes, so goes Michigan State, especially over the course of the last five games. I mean, if you look at you know uh, against Northwestern, he goes one of eight from the field, zero of five from deep, scores six points, they lose. Go on the road to Wisconsin, he goes five of seven from the field, makes both his threes, twelve points, they win. Go on the road to Illinois, one of eight, zero of three, two points, they lose. Home against Michigan. Five of eight, three of four, 16 points, and they win. So I think what you're seeing is something we talked about a lot coming into the year, and especially in the early part as well, is that this kid is absolutely integral to the success of the team. And your backcourt has always been at Michigan State kind of the deciding factor. The guys with the ball, and it's the college basketball, the guys with the ball in their hand the most need to be your best players, period, end of story. And uh, Max Christie is one of those two guys with Tyson Walker and the third probably being AJ Hogard. And when you get two of those three playing really well, you can do this to mid teams and you can beat really good teams. So um, Christie deserves a ton of credit. I love seeing him hit his stride as we're coming down the stretch here. Um, I also think that and it has nothing to really do with this game because he didn't make much of an impact in his 12 minutes. But Jake Nakins, I think, is another guy that you're going to see continue to get a lot of tech as we move forward here and get into these, as you said, those four games in, in you know, two week windows or whatever it might be. Um, it's going to be very interesting to, to see how this rotation is able to, to shake out. And like you said, I think you coming down the stretch, you're playing good teams on, on nights that are really close together with a title on the line. I mean, that depth is going to be, going to be incredible. And I, I, you know, I totally agree with you as we spin forward here. You know, this, I feel like this, this season is following just the most Michigan State script ever. Like, like it could, it could not be a more Michigan State season thus far. Like if I just look at the schedules, like you play in the, you know, you, you've got all these brand new pieces. You play a top five team that's proven to be a top five team all year, top 10 team in Kansas. You lose the first game of the season. You go on to beat some interesting guys. You know, uh, kind of fight back in these tournaments, make it all the way to the final, beating UConn and Loyola on the way, and then you drop one to a really good team in Baylor. Then you fight back and you kind of make your way through the January uh, stretch there, doing really well. Then you run into some trouble in late January, early February. I mean, as of now, we are playing an extremely Michigan State season. I think the very interesting part, typically what happens, you have 11 games left now, which, by the way, just take a half step back and think about that. You have 11 games left in the regular season. It's not a ton. Not a ton. And, um, you know, this is the part where Michigan State can go one of two ways, and this isn't, like, genius insight, but, like, we've seen MSU teams at this point, I'd say the majority of the time, this is where they start to turn it on. And maybe that's what we saw start to happen there. Uh, with that Michigan win. We've also seen them lose tough games in this like early February, mid February stretch. Um, mm-hmm. but that quite frankly, in this year's Big Ten, if they want to win a championship, it can't happen. And these two games this week, to your point, 
against Mar- at Maryland, at Rutgers, you know, two teams that are, what, let's see here, a combined nine and 11 in the conference, a combined 23 and 20 overall. Those are simply games that you cannot drop. And I think the really interesting thing with, especially with Maryland, uh, tonight when you're, say you're listening to this on Tuesday will be the mental side of this. Cause they're a better team than Maryland. Maryland's beaten some good teams. They beat that, they beat Illinois, uh, at home. They've been through a lot this year, but you know, they've also gotten boat raced by Michigan. Like Maryland's a super up and down team that Michigan State is clearly more talented than. However, we've seen it now, uh, in these last five games, MSU's only three and two. They've done a great job of bouncing back and beating, you know, fighting hard to beat Minnesota, let down against Northwestern, fighting super hard and blowing Wisconsin out, losing a bad game at Illinois, you know, fighting super hard and beating Michigan. Is that, are we done with this up and down or are we going to keep doing this rotating, you know, kind of dance here? I think it, because I can read this last stretch in a couple of ways. Part of me says this team is super mentally tough to bounce back and beat Wisconsin like that and beat Michigan like that. But the other part of me says they take their eye off the ball after they feel comfortable and they lose games to Northwestern and Illinois. So I think this next stretch, these two, these two games, um, this week and then the home game against Wisconsin on the eighth will, will say quite a bit. I would call this, this week, these are your captain's games. You, these are the guys that you've already, like you said, you've taken your eye off the ball. You have at least two bad losses. They're bad. They should not have happened. But it's college basketball. Those happen. You're still in control of yourself. You're still in control of chasing a Big Ten championship. You lose, you take, if you want to get loosey goosey and take your eye off the ball on two away games in this league, you don't deserve to win the Big Ten. And mm-hmm. so that's why I'm a captain's games and that Malik Hall and Gabe Brown will need to be the most engaged and get the team as most engaged as possible. And if that happens, I think you can start to have, we can start to have conversations about, you know, chasing that Big Ten championship. Um, but you know, we're past no letdowns. The letdowns happened. Like, there are no more mulligans. Not, not when you're chasing the Big Ten championship. Not when there's a team like Purdue and Illinois full strength in this league. So the mulligans are gone. You know, these, these are must wins. Otherwise, like we talk about, we're just playing basketball. You know, we're just, we're just sort of playing and, you know, maybe you'll be a top four in the conference and maybe you'll be a four or five seed and who knows if, you know, maybe you get to a sweet 16 and, and maybe that's fine for some people, but, um, I don't think, I don't think that this team needs to settle for that. I think there's another gear in there and I think they can find it. Um, and, and maybe the Michigan was the catalyst. Maybe it was the jumping off point. I don't know. Um, they beat a, they beat a bad team at home. So, so what's next? You know, that's yep. the big question. Yeah. And quite literally what's next is Maryland. Do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, Maryland at all? I mean, just, just briefly. No, <laughs> there are too many people that are going to have a lot of time to listen to this, but. I think the only thing that, that I would, I would watch out for is that, you know, Maryland is looking at this game. If they're look, they're looking at their schedule in general 
And this is the start of a absolutely crushing four games in a row. They play uh, Michigan State at home, and then Sunday they play at Ohio State, then Iowa at home, then at Purdue. Now, yeah. you you could argue that this season is was was kind of a, a, a wash as soon as their head coach left in the middle of the year. But if the, these guys even want to, this is a proud program. Like Maryland's a proud program. Like they 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 are not. You know, a blue blood, but you sh- this is a decent basketball program. If they don't make the NIT, that that is a shame. Like, yeah, that can't happen to proud programs. And you have to have a winning record to make the NIT. And by the way, the NIT would love to have a program like Maryland. Oh yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, they need a winning record. They need to win probably five more. They need to win five more games. These next four aren't going to be easy. You know what I mean? So, like, I guess I'm just kidding. If they get Michigan State twice, can they point to a win against a team like Michigan State and say, like, okay, that is our rallying point, you know? Mm-hmm. And in a home game, too. I don't think it's going to be an easy win. I don't. I, I just don't think – I don't think Maryland's any good, to be very clear. But um, I also don't think you can just roll into any any program in the Big Ten outside of maybe Nebraska and – and expect to just walk out with a win. Yeah, I mean, they're like you said, they're this should be a game that Michigan State should should win somewhat comfortably. Um, their size should be a huge benefit. I mean, Bingham should you know Caduce Wahab is their their big man, um, but Bingham should do a really good you know should be a, a major impact on him. Um, and Michigan State, frankly, is just a just a better team. I mean, Maryland's you know. They've got, uh, you know, just in looking at their schedule, like they beat Florida, they beat the crap out of Illinois, they beat Rutgers by eight. But then if you look at their losses, they're just bad. Like they lost by five against Iowa, six against Northwestern, 19 against Michigan, 11 against Rutgers the first time they played. And their last loss was by 13 against Indiana um, at home. So, you know, I, uh, it's just they're they're not a great team, like you said. If Michigan State wants to be taken seriously, they they win this game. Um, it's actually kind of crazy because I almost do think that they're better than Rutgers, though. Just in looking at Rutgers in general, like Rutgers is absolutely a, a just an absolute chaos team. Like if you go all the way back to the beginning of their season, their first game they beat Lehigh by three in overtime, and then they scored forty eight against Merrimack. Like, what a chaotic start to the season. Then they go ahead and lose three straight to DePaul, Lafayette, and UMass, all by less than three points. They somehow beat Clemson, get boat raced by Illinois. Like, they lost by 17 to Penn State in this Big Ten season. They also beat Michigan by eight, beat Iowa by two, uh, and beat Purdue when Purdue was ranked number one for the first time ever at home. Like, but then they get into like their last four games, two point win against Iowa, three point loss on the road at Minnesota, eight point loss at home to Maryland, two point win on the road at Nebraska. Like this is a team that is scuffling down the stretch. So, uh, you know, listen, it's the craziest part is that it's all the same players. I guess that's not crazy because they haven't been good, but like Ron Harper Jr. is still by far the best player. Geo Baker somehow there. Cliff Marie, not bad. After that, it completely falls off a ledge. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much time it's even worth spending talking about them because it, basically, if 
you can't slow down. You have to slow down Harper and hope Baker doesn't go, you know, banana land on you and you should win this game. And this is just, again, just to put a bow on this before we get into some quick takeaways. These are two games Michigan State needs to win. Frank, end of story. If they lose either one of these games, to be completely honest, it changes my entire expectation for the season in general. Because it's just, I mean, if they lose these games, they're just not a serious, they're not a serious Big Ten threat. Unserious. Unserious Big Ten threat. <laughs> ATM. We don't want to go down that path. But, you know, like concerned uh, parents, we are we got to have the talk, you know, a difficult talk before you know, we, we're setting expectations here. Got to be prepared. And, you know, I think one thing to watch out, I, I'm just going to start layering this in as, as I can't help but look ahead to March because, hey, next month there is tournament basketball, okay, not too far off. The Big Ten as a whole. Does is is a really interesting conference in that they there's no team there's only one team in the top 100 in the country that turns you over um, at at any rate that is that is considered decent that's Iowa the one top 100 team the rest it's just a, it's a conference that as you guys know you, you kind of pack it in you're not going to overextend not a lot of pressing but Michigan State does or doesn't usually need a lot of help turning the ball over and they turn the ball over against teams that aren't really looking to turn you over. And so if Michigan state's going to run into a team in the NCAA tournament who maybe focuses that as the focal point of their defense, it's going to be a huge problem. So uh, the flip side is you started, you saw how easily Michigan state broke a very unserious press that Michigan was putting on. (laughs) And um, that is, that was very encouraging to me, but um, you know, it's it's not anything groundbreaking to say they need to reduce the turnovers. But seriously, they have to because they're not playing teams <laughs> that are not turn, trying to turn you over. Like they're not even trying. They're just like we're just throwing the ball out of bounds. It's really weird. So you you go to the NCAA tournament, you play L line Christian, ha, mm-hmm. mark it as an L, not beating them. Like, not with the way we handle the ball. So all I can do is look ahead and start to make my list of teams I don't want to play. And, Austin, that's one of our favorite things to do. So Yes. So I'm going to put um, – we're going to start adding to that list as we go, um, as we get towards March. And hopefully Michigan State can be on the list. You know, obviously we can't play ourselves. But um, as a team that other teams look, you know, when the brackets release, and you're like, oh, man, I do not want to play them. That's all you really want to be, right? All you want like, to be. That's all you want to be. If you're not going to be the, like, favorite favorite, which I'd also rather not be. Right. You want to be a team that people don't want to play. Mm-hmm. MSU could be. Well, we'll see. This week will tell us a lot as to whether they're trending that direction or not. Well, Austin beat Michigan. Get another shot at them in Ann Arbor on March 1st, sounds like. Um, they're going to need that dub. And... Who knows? Maybe Michigan State will need it because they're uh, chasing a Big Ten championship. Hope, hope so. Yeah, I hope so as well. That would be that'd be nice. Be nice for everybody. Um, Listen how cautious we're being. Oh God, yeah, we're just we're so washed. I don't know. I just don't know what to believe. I feel like I've been burned against Northwestern and Illinois now, and I just I need I need more just like calm wins. The last two weeks have been too chaotic for my old heart. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, All right. I'm good. If that's you it, John. Sounds good. All right, guys. As always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this is Austin, and we will catch you guys next week.